each of us know what our own boundaries are and what we consider risky and not risky. And so it is that aspect of like, I'm very much of, you know, talk to people, gather information, but that's the thing. I think the more information you gather, then it becomes less risky, it becomes less scary, it becomes more something like, let's just try it and see what happens. Welcome to this Alumni Matters mini-series. I'm Jenny Lucas-Hill, and my guest for this mini-series is Margaret Shearer. Margaret is the founder and CEO of Cheetadina Marketing. She has over 14 years experience working for blue chip tech companies, including Microsoft and Google. And she's also a member of the Board of Advisors at Westminster Business School. In 2010, Margaret decided to leave the United States and moved to the UK to study for her MBA at Cranfield School of Management. After her MBA, she founded Cheetadina Marketing, a digital marketing agency who work with a wide range of clients from startups to established blue chip organizations. Margaret has some really fascinating insights into her experiences of entrepreneurship, managing risks, nurturing growth, and of course, digital marketing. So I hope you enjoy this mini series. In this first episode, we're going to be talking about taking the leap, managing risks, being open to a new path, and Margaret's journey into leaving the world of big tech and becoming a solopreneur. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so perhaps we can start by discussing the journey that's led you to where you are now. Um, prior to coming to Cranfield to study for the MBA, you were working for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the trigger or the driving force that made you decide to take that leap and come and study for your MBA? Yeah, so I was at Microsoft for five years, uh, nearly five years, and it was a situation of when I got out of school and joined, to be honest, I'm not sure I truly understood leveling and HR rules about how um, big companies organize their staff. And it was something that I personally believe I probably came in at too low of a level to understand how I could kind of reach my potential in that specific leveling. And at the time, Microsoft was quite famous for this stack ranking um, review process, which they've now gotten rid of. And I think that's great. And so it was a situation that I was, I was really doing really very well for a few years, but I was primarily in operations with just a little bit of marketing and really wanted marketing to be my sole job. And it really just got to a point where one of my mentors within the business said like, look, it's not gonna happen here. He's like, you're going to get that job or my job. Neither of us are leaving. You've talked about wanting to go do an MBA. He's like, I think this is the time. And so genuinely it felt like it was something that I had wanted to do for myself anyway. And it also just felt like it was a very elegant way to leave, leave that door open, you know, see what's going to happen in the future um, and so forth. And I think that that then became the trigger for me to, start really diving into the studies and looking at, you know, what is this new possibility of what we could do? Because you just had kind of gone as far as I could within that certain framework that I was set up with um, at the company. And then, yeah, so began my MBA search and it was something where I knew I wanted to always live abroad. And again, it was this elegant way to have that catalyst. Like, yes, it's a little bit easier if you thought about coming um, to do an MBA for an educational standpoint to be able to say like, okay, this is how I'm going to move country and so forth. And at the time, really, I think Cranfield made it very easy for that journey because there was all these little services that just made it that much easier. So they would pick you up from the airport to take you to campus. Um, Your bedding could all be 
there. And it was all just these like lots of little things that I was like, this is just making moving to another country just like that much easier. Mm-hmm. And that's how um, that journey started. Amazing. And so then after you finished the MBA, what was the process that kind of made you decide to kind of leave that world of big tech and set up your own marketing agency? Yeah, so after the MBA, I was again at Google for about three and a half years, um, met amazing people there. It's a very interesting company. And then it was really interesting to kind of compare Microsoft's then culture to then Google's then culture, um, because they're so different. And to be honest, I think I was like really going for other um, tech companies for a while. And the constant feedback that I was getting was like, you don't have startup experience. And I always thought that's one of the genuinely stupidest things I've ever heard because to me startup experience is you're very passionate and you're a bit crazy (laughs) you're willing to like go into the unknown for a lot of things and I would talk to my cousins who were you know serial entrepreneurs and be like what is startup experience what are they talking about and she's like I know I know crazy um and then like an opportunity sort of presented itself to say like you know someone else was setting up a business I was like "Hmm, I think you should take me with you to go do that. I have all of those skills that you don't have. We had complementary skills. Um, and then this is the getting that startup experience. And so it felt very natural at the time, kind of the group I had been within Google was doing, going through a big transformation. And it just felt like a very natural time to kind of go into the startup land. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that company, we, I grew that company very quickly. But because we were only offering one specific part of the marketing journey, it occurred to me that we were actually very inefficient. And I don't necessarily like this inefficiency. Um, And then that led to Chitadina Marketing. Because what we're trying to do is, as marketing has gotten so technical and so siloed, what happens is marketers are spending all their time in agency meetings, talking to one agency for video and one agency for their email automation and one agency for their creative strategy. And I was just like, that seems like a waste of time. And that also seems like they're spending a lot more money on overheads than maybe they realize because I was part of creating those budgets where you're stuffing more into your overheads because you have to cover your costs. Yeah. And, I'm like, and I was like, I'm a little company doing that. What are the big companies doing? Mm, you know, absolutely. Paying for all the people on the bench. And then, and then also like the thing, because each agency only gets like one slice of their brief, what comes back might not like wholly fit all together. And so what I was trying to do is create a very lean agency where we work with our customers, we work with marketers and we work with business owners to be able to say, what strategically are you trying to solve? Be very specific and strategic about it. And then we'll create the team that works for you. And so you're only paying for what you're using you know, which are a team of experts that we bring in for that and then be able to to make something I think that is a lot more efficient and a lot more um, cohesive. Mm, amazing. So when you kind of took that initial step of with um, your colleague going and starting that first company, did you anticipate that you would be taking that kind of the startup experience that these big tech companies were asking and then kind of taking that away and going back into big tech, I guess I'm kind of asking, did you anticipate that you would end up where you are now? That's a good question. Um, I think the first year I anticipated taking that experience 
and then yeah going back into big tech and and saying okay now i get you know all of the roles on the ground and so forth that company grew very quickly and then i saw a different path forward and then it's a little bit addictive because you're like well i can do this myself so you know like you don't necessarily need the big companies anymore if things are if your clients are coming in if people are utilizing your services um, and I have to say, so Cheetadine is like over three years old now, three and a half years old. And for the first two and a half years, all of the business was inbound. It was just people calling to say like, are you available? Can you do this? So wow. it is that kind of aspect of saying, all right, well, there's definitely a service that customers are interested in. We, act, we can deliver what they're asking. There's repeatable customers, et cetera. Um, and that a different kind of path emerges. Mm. Mm, that's really interesting so it's almost it kind of sounds like you took a little bit of a risk in terms of going and trying to get this experience and actually it set you on a completely different path that maybe you weren't anticipating but it's worked out incredibly well for you yeah I think uh, yeah I'm trying to think I'm trying I kind of I don't really think about that part of it so it (laughs) was that aspect of like you know how can I dip into the space learn what's going on we were trying to educate people about certain services that they weren't using then. And I think it was a big shock for me as well. It was coming from these very big companies that had very decent budgets and viewed marketing in specific ways. And we always sort of felt we had been, how can we push the marketing to a specific level? And so I think that the more interesting thing that happened for me is when you start to work with lots of other different companies outside of tech or um, in different sectors, different sizes, and realize there's a lot, there's a lot of room for for most companies to grow within that digital marketing space. Mm. And that reset my expectations quite a lot to say, actually, we can, I can help companies upskill um, their marketing so that it can become more cohesive, so that it can become more automated. It can really flow into their business desires rather than kind of this old world thinking that my, that marketing is just about big splashy outdoor or TV ads or, or something kind of unattainable. Mm. Interesting. So in taking both of those leaps, both kind of deciding to study for the MBA and then later on going, okay, actually I can do this and setting up your own business. Did you have any kind of fear? And if so, how did you manage that fear? Yeah, fear is something I've been thinking about a lot in the last few months because it's kind of what, like, what is fear um, a little bit. I think that with the MBA, I'm not sure I had as much fear of that because it was something that I had really wanted for myself, that it was something, it was time to go, it was time to kind of hit reset a little bit um, versus I think the the startup fear to be honest it's just there's kind of always this times where you're where when you start to second guess some of the services or offerings or these kind of things and then something sort of happens where you're like oh this is a good service or oh somebody's just sent a really nice quote about how that worked out for them or something um i think last year i i really turned to my community so I think like those moments of fear, like those moments of anxiety when you're like, is the pipeline as good as it should be? Is that, are there these, is this the path 
I had set this path for the company, but now it looks like we're veering off to this direction. I've had like a small set of friends who have been able to kind of redirect those fears that we've had and when you like de-risk it. So it's like you kind of go up this ladder to say, oh, I'm in a high state of anxiety because of whatever reason. And then I recall last year, is like, what is the plan B? What are the other aspects? And I had kind of gone through three different friends who are, who each of one of them was just de-risk the situation. She's like, they're like, well, you can just look at these other options. I was like, oh yeah, I hadn't even thought that I could look at those other options. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, she said I could look at those other options. I'm like, yeah, of course you can. And I think it'd be really easy. And, and so it was one of these things where I just kind of kept going through this particular small group of friends who then made it a lot less scary when mm. you kind of wind yourself up, which I think happens is like a solopreneur kind of experience is like you can get really stuck on a loop of uh, decision making which when you're talking to somebody else normally it'd be you decide it within 10 minutes you know but because you're in your own head you're on repeat is this a good idea is this a good idea so I, I guess for me like these moments of I'm not sure if fear is the word but I think moments of anxiety mm-hmm. it's about knowing who in my community I can go and talk to to sort of de-risk that um, escalation of anxiety that's happening. Yeah, yeah. So would you say kind of if someone wants to come to you and say, I've got this idea and I really want to start it, but I'm kind of, I'm concerned about the risky nature of doing it, that that kind of having that community around you and having people to go and kind of bounce off is really key? Yes. I also, I'm always curious about, because I think fear and risk are different. Mm. And so... I'm always interested in how people want to, um, what they consider risky and what are the things, you know, I, I literally had a chat last week where my friend was like, what, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, so if we say it from the complete opposite, what is the worst thing that could happen? And then how do we backstep it from there? Um, because people have come up and said, this is, I have a business idea. I have a this. And you kind of are like, well, if you, you know, you can start this as a side hustle learn you know like if you're willing to put in your nights after work to kind of start to focus this in what is the worst thing that could happen you know like that each of us know what our own boundaries are and what we consider risky and not risky and so it is that aspect of like I'm very much of you know talk to people gather information if you have an idea but you haven't talked it through or you haven't done the research for your product and if it exists or your services and exist and what's your USP then yeah, I think that's a bit crazy. Like you need to like, like really think about what you're offering and why somebody wants to come to you to do that. Um, and then however you gather information, you know, put that together. But that's the thing. I think the more information you gather, then it becomes less risky. It becomes less scary. It becomes more something like, let's just try it and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. So in those kind of early days of um, setting up Cheetadina, um, did you face any kind of particularly difficult situations or kind of unexpected situations? And if so, how did you overcome those? Yeah, I think that the first few months were finding my feet on what our offering was. I think, you know, I started in March and it wasn't until July where I was like, all right, we're going to be the one-stop shop in digital marketing. There was this couple of months where it's like, am I looking for just freelance contracts? And is it a little bit of a different aspect? 
So it was sort of trying to talk to to different potential clients and different um, trying to kind of do that postmortem of leaving the last company to try to figure out like what I felt could have given better service to our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of settling from the last experience. Yeah, it was, it, you know, because it's different to kind of be, I had like grown a team and we had 11 people and then it was just myself. So there was this kind of more internal conflict of settling to say, okay, what does this new entity look like and how is it going to be sustainable and how am I going to um, get the word out? from that kind of aspect uh, and, and in a lot of ways like rebuilding my community and rebuilding myself I mm. kind of lose a little bit of your identity and then how am I going to rebuild this for myself because I'm no longer part of a team and uh, my team is not going to be remote because when I work with my you know expert freelancers or boutique agencies the truth is at the time very few of them were actually located in London <laughs> and and none of them were in this time zone So it was a matter of saying, okay, how am I going to start to uh, manage my working hours? Because now it has to be a little bit flexible Uh Um, if I'm talking to somebody in the U.S. and these kind of aspects. Uh, And then I think it's it's just the rebuilding of of the new forecasting templates and the new what is success and just a lot of uh, redefinitions for myself. Interesting. It'd be quite interesting to pick up on what you said about kind of identity and you sort of mentioned boundaries as well, because I think um, as kind of particularly as solopreneurs, kind of Mm. the decisions you make can be make or break in terms of kind of managing your own workload, like you've said. And sometimes I think being able to know when to say no or know when to cut your losses from something can take just as much bravery as kind of diving straight in and taking everything on. Would you say that's something that you you've experienced yeah so I have uh, I have fired one customer uh, I got to a point of a project where I was like this makes the natural sense to leave we had finished one piece we we're about to start another piece and it just got to a point where it was so stressful there weren't the right components within the customer and what we were trying to deliver there wasn't very clear we had very different visions of, of what could be achieved with the budgets they had. And it just felt like such a high stress situation that it was no longer, you could kind of see like how we had, had worked to this point wasn't um, optimum and it wasn't like how I like to work. And also I don't, I didn't like how it's kind of pulling some of my team around because mm-hmm. I try very much to kind of protect my team, just say, this is the work you I'm trying to give my team as much space as possible to do what they're experts in, right? Mm. And so let me manage the politics, let me manage all of that. And it just got to a point where I felt that they were kind of yanking my team around. It was going to cost far more than, than what they had thought it was going to be. It was going to be far more work because the workflow hadn't been defined and there was no interest in defining the workflow. Um, and so it got to a point where I was like, okay, this is a natural way to, to split paths. And the instant emotional relief from sending that note, you know, and having that discussion was so massive. There was no question but to know that this was the right thing to do. Um, And of course, it's always about being professional and it's always about leaving the door open and trying to do what's best for our team. But it is those moments of saying, all right, now you're, you're wholly taking advantage or you're wholly like pushing the boundaries. 
you're not communicating, you're not willing to communicate, and this isn't the kind of agency that I want to be, and that's going to affect the services that we give Mm. and make it less than what I know we normally do um, because of the the lack of communication or, or so forth. So I think there's these, you know, one of my friends said a few years ago, she said, people will take advantage as long as you let them. And, mm-hmm. so, and I think, of, and so sometimes you get this kind of poor intuition or that bad feeling, and you just have to take a moment to stop and stand back and, and look what's going on. I think, um, you know, when we make decisions, we all think that we're using all of the rational part of our brain, but what's happening is our our new brain, if you will, is interpreting the emotions that we have and then taking those feelings and turning it into data that then becomes our practical reasoning, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what you can see is I have one of these statements too. If you ever send an email that has three or more punctuation marks in a row that is not an ellipsis, don't send it. (laughs) Because right now you are too emotional uh, you're, you're, and you're just going to like hurt somebody's feelings. You're going to make yourself not look great. Um, and it's just, you know, it's that butterfly wing effect of like, now you're going to, there's just going to be a massive churn that you're going to create of whoever reads it. And then whoever they talk to, I just got this email and, you know, <laughs> this kind of thing. It's like, to, how, how can we start to kind of take in the data, give ourselves the time to emotionally feel it, make it into a rational um, data information, and then come back to be able to say, look, I think you're asking more than what we're able to do. How about this? And I'm always trying to problem solve. So mm-hmm. I'm always trying to find compromise. I'm always trying to, to find a ways that it's going to work the best that it can for everybody to get to that end positive goal that we've all set. Then that even sometimes, you know, when you feel that someone's trying to take advantage or the boundaries are a bit too rough, I like to kind of reset it and say, look, I want to be clear. I think you, like your and my shared goal is this. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of reground people in that discussion and say, yes, we're both trying to get to this, great. Okay, now how can we take a step back and plan the path to get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you've made some really good points there, and I think there's some really good um, pieces of advice in there in terms of things that you've learned through that experience of kind of having to go through that moment of going, actually, this isn't right anymore, and for the benefit of the business, I need to actually say no here. So kind of following on from that, um, if you had to give three pieces of advice to someone who is just starting out as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, what would they be? I think one thing for sure that I am learning and I was told in January as well by another entrepreneur is not necessarily you can't do it by yourself, but look at the ways that you feel like you're not doing it by yourself. Um, and there's different ways. I'm not, I'm not dissuading from the solopreneur, but I'm thinking like, how can you create that advisory board for yourself? How can you create the other people who are sort of rooting for your company, um, even though you're by yourself? I've set up in the last two months, what I have is like an accountability meeting with another solopreneur, uh, where every week we talk about like what we're going to get done this week, how that fits into our broader, you know, six months goals. And then we're cheering for each other. And then we commit to, we say it in the meeting and then we send an email. So you're committed to these tasks. Um, But all of a sudden, there's somebody just to talk through a couple of these ideas to say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Um, 
and it helps both of us kind of get out of our own way and you all of a sudden feel like there's there's your company is bigger than it is so i think number one finding that accountability buddy or those advisory board members is is really important um number two know your numbers uh it's been very interesting to me the kind of people who solopreneurs or or different kind of smaller businesses and they'll tell me because they'll ask me questions about marketing and then they'll tell me that they you know they're spending this much on advertising and and I say okay well then how many leads does that get you and how many revenue does that come and they're like I don't know leads come in and so that's fine and there's far more companies out there that, that than you would think that are doing that and I'm so crazy. I'm always like, but what about your spreadsheet? And, and they say, well, what spreadsheet? I'm like, oh, what do you mean? What spreadsheet? How do you operate? Um, and so, but really know your numbers because that's going to be something that when you talk to other entrepreneurs or if you're going to, if you're trying to grow into investing, if you're trying to, you know, get that other aspect, you have to know, like, what are your overheads? What is, what is your pipeline? What, are, how do all of these kind of numbers fit in? And I have to say, I have talked to so many very successful entrepreneurs and when they ask me the questions and I can tell them my numbers a hundred percent of the time they say I know you're going to do well because you know your numbers and so that's something that keeps reinforcing yeah you need to what are your expenses because trust me those ubers add up <laughs> so take a look and say why you know why aren't we performing it could be these these silly other um, expenses that maybe you're not even paying attention to so really pay attention to all of that and then um, number three, I think it's be willing to adjust. Uh, you have a vision right now. I really think in the first, the first three months is like the most exciting, <laughs> uh, the most optimistic you are, the happiest you, that you are, uh, and you have the vision. If, but, you know, 12 months down the line, six months down, or, or 18 months, or a global pandemic down the line, you know, um, things happen, and it's not necessarily a reflection on you it's how else can we change some of your plans and adjust and you're not abandoning any dreams or plans or anything by just creating a second stream or creating new services or or pivoting in a particular way it's just kind of finding your feet to what is the absolute right fit Thanks for listening to the show and thank you to Margaret for joining us and sharing her experiences and insights. Don't forget you can also listen to the second and third episodes in this podcast mini-series with Margaret Shearer in which we talk about entrepreneurship and the future of marketing. You can also tune in to our other Cranfield alumni podcast by visiting www.cranfield.ac.uk forward slash alumni podcast where you can subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. To get in touch, you can email us on alumni at cranfield.ac.uk, tweet us at Cranfield Alumni, and use the hashtags Cranfield Alumni and Cranfield Alumni Connected. I'm Jenny Lucas-Hill, and you've been listening to Alumni Matters. Thanks for tuning in.